Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, Christmas from the Beginning of Time, with a message titled, Born to Rule in Us Forever. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I think that the account in the Bible that Jesus was born because of a miraculous conception, that his mother, Mary, was a virgin and had never known a man, and that the child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that account has been under attack for quite some time now. Let me see if I can articulate some of the criticisms. One of the most common comes from the philosophical framework of naturalism that simply denies miracles are possible. You know, recently I heard a liberal theologian actually arguing that since only two of the gospel accounts record the virgin birth, it seemed to him that it's likely that the event didn't happen. Well, it turns out that only two of the gospel accounts actually records the birth of Jesus at all. So using that professor's logic, well, I guess you get the sense of the thing. Well, maybe Jesus wasn't born at all. Of course, that's all foolishness. But putting all that matter aside for a moment, Any reader of the birth of Jesus will immediately notice that Matthew chapters 1 and 2, which records the birth of Jesus, quotes the Old Testament four times in those two chapters. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7 verse 14, Micah 5 verse 2, Hosea 11 verse 1, and Jeremiah 31 verse 15. And, says Matthew, these texts will explain the meaning of the birth of Jesus. And so when Matthew describes the virgin birth, he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 7. And since we've been doing a series entitled Christmas from the beginning of time, tracing the Christmas themes throughout the Old Testament, it seems to me that Isaiah chapter 7 is essential in understanding what Christmas is all about. So let's read Isaiah 7. Before we do, I need to warn you that just like a lot of Old Testament texts that we've read, we will need to take some time making the connection between something that happened in the Old Testament times and then to see how it relates to Jesus. So I'm reading Isaiah 7, verses 1 to 2. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So let's begin by noticing that there are three kings in this passage. The first one is King Ahaz, and he is the king of Judah. His palace and his throne are in Jerusalem, and he's a direct descendant of King David. Now, that's important because, according to the Bible, God had promised David that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from one of his descendants. And so, with the coming of each successive king who ruled in Jerusalem after David, there would always be this question, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Savior of the world? Now, in Ahaz's day, the nation of Israel was no longer a single nation. I mean, think of it like North and South Korea. Now, this might be confusing, but if you don't pay attention right now to what I say, you're going to miss the entire account. The North is called Israel. The South is called Judah. They're now two different nations. So Jerusalem is not in Israel. It's in Judah. And the son of David, the hope of the Messiah, lived in Judah. 
See, if you don't get that, you'll not understand what I'm about to say, okay? We get that. Now let's move on. There are two more kings mentioned in this passage. The second king mentioned is Rezin. He's the king of Aram or the king of Syria. Yep, that's the same Syria that in our day is making all the news because it's consumed with a civil war. The third king is Pekah, and he's the king of Israel, and his capital city is in Ephraim. Let me tell you a little bit about Israel. Israel broke from the Davidic kingdom 200 years before this event. Israel then invented its own religion, set up two altars to worship idols, and then promptly forgot about the promise that one day a Messiah would come into the world. Now, we need one more piece of data in order to understand what's going on. The events described here in Isaiah 7 would have happened between 735 and 732 BC, and that date is very significant. We know from history that at this time that a new and awesome and terrifying power had arisen in the Middle East. A new empire, it's called the Assyrian Empire, it had emerged and they were utterly crushing every nation around them. And so Syria, with their king Rezin, and Israel, with their king Pekah, formed an alliance against Assyria to protect themselves. And they thought, let's get Judah to join in with us. I mean, three nations are better than two, and with three, we might have a chance to hold out this invasion from this military superpower, Assyria, located in what's Iraq today. Now, King Ahaz of Judah was already one step ahead of those two kings. I mean, he thought, I mean, why don't I sign a peace treaty with the terrifying Assyrian Empire, and I'm going to be safe. I'll pay them off, I'll give them what they want, and I won't see war. So that's the background, now the drama. The two kings of Syria and Israel decide that if they can't get Judah to join them, they're going to attack Judah and force them to comply. And so after slaughtering a great many Judean soldiers, the two kings then surround Jerusalem, put it under siege, but as Isaiah 7 verse 1 tells us, they could not conquer the city, at least not yet. And these two kings have a plan. Once they conquer Jerusalem, they're going to kill King Ahaz, and they're going to kill all the members of his royal family, and they're going to replace him with a puppet king, a man from Syria named the son of Tabil. And that would mean that had these two kings succeeded, that they would have effectively ended the line of David. No Messiah would have come, no Savior entering the world. I mean, that's the drama of the story. See, what's at stake is the future of the promises of God. So, what this story is all about is the satanic plan to stop the coming of a Savior into the world. Satan was planning to destroy the promise of God, to make sure that his captives, that is, the sons and daughters of Adam, could never be saved. Now, I wish I could tell you that this is a classic battle between good and evil, but unfortunately, it doesn't come out that neatly. It turns out that King Ahaz, the king of Judah, was himself an intensely evil man. I mean, he had burned his son alive to a pagan god, and he had filled all of Judah with idols. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 16. So we can safely say that King Ahaz has no interest in the Messiah. This man was deeply and intensely evil, but now suddenly, this man who would make a treaty with Assyria, the superpower, was being invaded by two local kings who had the power to kill his troops and burn his city to the ground and kill him and all of his family. So Isaiah says that King Ahaz was shaking like trees in a forest are shaken by the wind, and so was everyone else in the city. So let's keep reading verses 3 to 9. And the Lord said to Isaiah, 
Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshuv, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim, that is Israel, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, King Ahaz hated Isaiah the prophet, I mean, because he brought him perpetual bad news, and here he comes again, prophet of God to disrupt his life, and then instead of bad news and condemnation for his sin, surprisingly, Isaiah tells Ahaz not to be afraid, these two kings will not defeat you. Indeed, within 65 years, the nation of Israel with its capital in Ephraim, that nation you fear right now, well, it won't even exist anymore. And that happened. About a dozen years later, the Assyrian Empire destroyed Israel, and within 65 years, Israel land had been so settled by foreigners that they were dispersed. And they would have ceased to exist as a nation, and they do to this day. Those tribes that make up northern Israel are gone. But God knew that this might not help Ahaz. He might have said, well, 65 years, well, that's a long way off. This is now, and that doesn't help me today. And so Isaiah tells the king of Judah one more piece of good news. You need to be firm in your faith toward the God of Abraham and the God of your father, David. But Ahaz had never been a man of faith. He was a man of pagan religions and a man who got out of trouble by making clever deals with the enemy. He had never trusted in God, ever. He had trusted in his own wits. And then what comes next is a reason to trust God And that reason will have everything in the world to do with why we celebrate Christmas today. With the Christmas season upon us, it's hard not to reflect on the most recent Israel experience hosted by Back to the Bible Canada earlier this year. Visiting many of the New Testament locations where Jesus himself walked makes the celebration of our Savior's arrival even more impactful. Well, I've got some good news. Back to the Bible Canada will be hosting another tour of the Holy Land on April 16th to the 24th, 2023, with an optional extension to Jordan, April 24th to the 29th. With Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Phil Calloway, musical guest Amanda Stott, and the ministry leadership team, you're guaranteed to have a pilgrim experience that transforms your understanding of the Word and your journey of faith. If you're interested in joining us, reserve your spot today. Numbers are limited to ensure the most intimate of experiences. So visit backtothebible.ca or call us today at 1-800-663-2425. King Ahaz of Judah was a man in trouble. He had shunned the God of his fathers. He had become a profoundly evil man. But he was still the king of Judah, and God had promised that one of the kings of Judah would be the long-awaited Messiah. 
But then just when it looked like the enemies of Judah would kill every single family member in his kingdom, along comes Isaiah the prophet to tell the king that his family line will not be destroyed. I mean, after all, God had made a promise and God's promises simply can't be broken. In this day of national crisis, Ahaz was supposed to do something that he had never done before. He was supposed to trust God. And so let's continue to read Isaiah 7, and I'm reading verses 10 and 11. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. You know, we see here that God, through the mouth of his prophet Isaiah, is doing something that's unprecedented. He's telling a wicked scumbag king, a man who's incapable of having faith, that he will graciously give him a reason for having faith. And so God says, if you want to believe, I'm going to help you. I'll give you a sign. Anyone that you ask for, I will show you my power. Now, what would he have asked for? Well, later after Ahaz died, his son, King Hezekiah, was given a sign by God in which the sun actually went backwards or the sundial moved backwards. Now, that's pretty impressive. God says, you need to have faith. You can ask me anything from the motion of the sun to the parting of the Red Sea. If you let me, I will help you believe. And that's what was offered King Ahaz. But this is fascinating. Ahaz responds with monumental hypocrisy. He actually quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, which forbids putting God to the test. Suddenly the old pagan king can quote scripture. He has a spiritual reason for not asking. See, but why didn't Ahaz want a sign? I think the reason is pretty apparent. You see, Ahaz has no intention of getting into a deal with God. He hates God. And he's already made a treaty with the Assyrian Empire. His hope is not in God. It's in Assyria. God is a disruption in his life. Now, to verses 13 and 14. And he, that is, Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary by God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, what has this to do with the birth of Jesus? Now, if this is meant to be a sign for Ahaz, then how can something that happened over 700 years later, that is, the birth of Jesus, a miraculous conception of a young virgin named Mary, how can this be the sign that God gave to Ahaz? In fact, This is what all the critics of Matthew point out. They say this, Isaiah 7, has something to do with the events in 732 B.C. in Jerusalem and has nothing to do with Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. And so, at least this is how the argument goes. Matthew, say the critics, didn't understand the Old Testament. You know, but actually, I'm going to say Matthew understood the Old Testament a lot better than the modern critics do today. You know, what's more, critics point out that the term virgin in verse 14 doesn't have to refer to a virgin and can just refer to a young woman of maritable age. And, say the critics, this young woman giving birth probably refers to Ahaz's wife, and the baby she conceives was Hezekiah, who actually did save Judah. So how do we respond to that? Well, first of all, we should notice that by the time Isaiah met Ahaz, Hezekiah was actually already born. Indeed, he was probably around 10 years old, so this has nothing to do with Hezekiah at all. Secondly, if if Isaiah was only referring to a young woman of the age of marriage and not a virgin, as the critics say, then how is this a sign at all? I mean, I get the sundial going backward. I get the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, I get Jericho's walls falling down flat without anyone touching them. 
But a young woman giving birth, I mean, young women get pregnant and give birth every day by the thousands. That's no sign. I mean, clearly Matthew has a much better idea than the scholars of the present age. See, the virgin birth in Isaiah 7 was supposed to be a great sign in which when we see it, no one could doubt God. But still, someone might object. How can Jesus, being born in Bethlehem more than 700 years after Ahaz, be assigned to Ahaz? Well, the answer is, it isn't assigned to Ahaz at all. See, I want you to go back to verse 14, and you're going to find the word you. See, the problem with the word you in English is that in English, you can be either singular or plural. So our friends in the United States know that, and that's why they'll often use the word y'all, and by that they mean plural you. But in Hebrew, there's no such ambiguity. The language itself designates whether you is singular or plural. See, why am I making so much of that? Because in our English Bible, we might think that when we read verse 14, where it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign, we we naturally think that God is speaking to Ahaz, but he isn't. Rather, he actually says, the Lord will give you all a sign. So here's what happened. Since according to verse 13, God has become weary of Ahaz's unbelief, he now refuses to give him a sign and prefers rather to give a sign to a large group of people, you all. That group would include all the house of David, but it might also include all of Judah, or it might even include a group that's larger than that. And 700 years later, that's what Matthew saw. When God promised to save the house of David, or the house of Ahaz, and make sure that his promised Savior would enter the world, the you all, God will give you a sign was a bigger you all than anyone had imagined. Now, if we had time, I would show that two chapters later, Isaiah tells of a son born of a virgin, that the increase of his government will know no end. And then before that happens, in chapter 11, he says that the kingdom of David will be reduced to a stump of a tree, but that the child born of a virgin would grow out of the wrecked and destroyed kingdom of David and would rule the world. Well, there's so much there, but a couple of things stand out. First, Ahaz would never see the sign. God would condemn him and leave that sign of a virgin birth for others to see. But nonetheless, that sign from God must come. Isaiah is saying that God will provide this sign as the ultimate proof that the Messiah will come, and that can't be stopped. And 700 years after that incident, as a Levite Bible scholar named Matthew was poring over the text from Isaiah, he comes to a realization. And that realization was that Ahaz, in his day, did not see the sign. But that sign would be some time in coming. But Matthew, who knew Jesus well and had interviewed his mother and knew well all the evidence of the virgin birth, came to a startling conclusion The 700-year-old prophecy, which was not realized at its time, was now realized in Matthew's time. God has given the entire human race the biggest y'all in history, a sign that he would deliver them from their sins. It was a better sign than the Red Sea parting and the sun going backward there in Bethlehem. A virgin, a young woman whose sexual purity meant that she had never been intimate with any man was in labor, and she was giving birth. And God had given his sign so that anyone who wants faith, 
that a Savior has entered into the world now has the ultimate reason to believe, and that's exactly what Christmas means. You know, to those who believe that evil or maybe that this world or that their own sins are overwhelming them, or for those who just wish that God would speak for once, or to those who want to believe that God would send a Savior and would rescue them from death and despair and gloom and eternal damnation, if you want to know that Jesus defeats all of that, then you're going to need a sign. And behold, a virgin conceived and bore a son. And that virgin was a direct descendant of King David and of King Ahaz. She, the one who stood in the kingly line, was with child and gave birth to the one who, as Isaiah would say, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his kingdom, there would be no end. See, the virgin birth is the sign that we are looking for. So don't give in to your fears or don't be in despair. And don't wonder to yourself, is all of this Christmas story actually true? Indeed, Isaiah's ancient prophecy was found to be true. As Matthew recounts the story of a virgin giving birth, God has spoken and left the imprint of his mark in history. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christmas is the sign from God that you have entered into this fallen world and that you have come in the form of your Son to save all those who believed in you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that death does not have the last word, but Christ is Lord over all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John, thanks for your message. A couple of questions, I guess, today. One is about the virgin birth. Uh, you know, there's some debate about it, but why is it so critical? And the other question is, what do we do with Mary? Yeah, I think the question of the virgin birth is essential, first of all, because the Bible clearly tells us that's what happened. Uh, I think the second is also this, that we have in Christ the proclamation that he is fully God and fully man at the same time. So he is born of a woman full of humanity. He is fully human and yet fully God. So I don't think that there's a difficulty with the virgin birth if we also accept the two natures of Christ. But if we question the, the, you know, the, the veracity of Scripture, obviously we're going to have a problem with that. The question of Mary on top of that is, is a complicated question because on the one hand are those who would hold that Mary is sinless, and on the other hand are those who do basically nothing with her. And the Bible makes it clear that she is blessed above all other women. So I think we need to hold her as a woman of great honor, and we need to thank God for her. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. This year, God has blessed the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with both the increased opportunity and provision to teach the Bible. It's undeniable that His helping hand has been at work as we reflect on everything He has allowed Back to the Bible Canada to accomplish on His behalf. Now we look forward to all He has in store for 2023. This calendar year end, Back to the Bible Canada has a goal to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will help position the ministry to carry out all the plans God has crafted for His glory. Now, each of us has the privilege to participate in sharing the gospel through the trustworthy teaching of His Word. Your partnership plays a crucial role in ensuring the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. 
To offer a gift toward our year-end goal, just call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.